A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheizt waren die Brüder in Amerika. So tausend Schabes at the guitar. Out of the 24 who were killed, were Americans who had come to learn in heaven. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Lusard. Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late. And it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Jewish History Soundbites, another episode. Zihudi Geber bringing you a bit of Jewish history. The Jewish History Soundbites podcast and each and every episode within is a little bit of trying to connect our past. As Eighth Day says, how do I know where I'm going? If I don't know where I'm coming from, how do, I know, how do I know why I'm living if I don't know what I'm dying for? And the more we're able to touch into the past, the more we're able to um, enable ourselves and prepare ourselves for a better future. So this is a minor contribution that each episode is going to bring another facet of our past, a personality, an event, an institution, some occurrence throughout Jewish history that can somehow help us connect to the glorious Jewish history past. And in recent years, it's not just talking about it or reading about it, but the 21st century, especially after the fall of the Iron Curtain and the end of the 20th century, has enabled the Jewish people to actually go and visit the places that are part of our recent past and to walk in the same streets and to go to these countries and see the places and daven at the Kivrei Tzadikim and really experience it and breathe the air of these places. So that's also a part of it, that the trips that I do and that are possible to do today, to lead groups, all types of groups, yeshivas and um, shuls and families exploring their roots all over Europe, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, in each country, in each place with its unique opportunities. So now is the time to start thinking about doing a tour uh, like that with uh, whatever group um, you may choose to do so. And today, what I'd like to speak a little bit about is the one of the recent phenomenons of the trips, and not only the trips, but it's become quite a... Um, quite a, a story in itself, is the Rav Shail of Kerestir. And I just want to start off with a story. A few weeks ago, I was eating at a Shabbos meal um, by a friend, a neighbor, 
and he had a few yeshiva guys over for for Shabbos, and Reb Shaila came up, and happens quite often. And um, um, one of the guys said, "Oh, I believe in in the whole Reb Shaila thing." Um, recently, I needed to get a certain documentation from some government office in Manhattan. And I was waiting for a long time for it. And I emailed and I called and I wasn't getting it. And I donated milk for coffee in the yeshiva coffee room for Bishchus Reb Shaila ben Reb Maisha. And 45 minutes after I donated a, a couple of bottles of milk for the coffee, I got a call from the government office that my documents came through and everything's okay. So I'm a believer. And these things happen all the time. And it's become quite a craze recently. And it's a real curiosity in the Jewish world how something like really caught on fast. Uh, Ten years ago, none of this was around. And, and, you know, I'm sure the guy who was talking to me and I subsequently spoke to him a little bit, it, he had no clue who Rabshayla was or pretty much had no clue who, what Hasidus was either, but that's a different story. And definitely couldn't put Karastir on a map, but that's less important also. He definitely didn't know any stories about Rabshayl. I mean, like, you know, it's become like something like a slogan. So I feel like if, I don't know, I don't know how it happened or why it happened, there's probably some aggressive marketing involved. But once it's happened, we might as well at least get a glimpse into who Rabshayl was. Um, when most people speak about Rabshayl, it's not even about him, it's about the Yeshuas or Yeshias that in recent years have been attributed to him and his chus. Um, in fact, a very close friend of mine was recently in Switzerland, and he said, I'm in Switzerland for vacation, I can't stop be here for a vacation, I might as well go daven by some uh, kever, at least I can... Uh, make some sort of ruchniistic justification for vacationing in Switzerland. Not that you need it. It's nice to vacation in Switzerland either way. But he wanted to bring some component to there. So a famous, incredible lady who lived in Switzerland in recent years was Recha Sternbuch. She was a, literally an angel of, uh, of Hatzalah, of saving Jewish people during the war years. She's an amazing story of Mesiris Nefesh, of dedication, of putting things at risk, uh, her security, her safety at times, uh, went all out to do anything to alert the world about what was happening in the final solution. She's really a story in herself. So he wanted to go daven by her cover. She died in the 1970s. She's buried in Switzerland. And he asked many, many people who lived in Switzerland, who used to live in Switzerland, who visited Switzerland, people who would know, all types of people, literally spent quite a bit of time trying to research it to see if they would know where Recha Sternbuch's uh, grave site was, and not a single person knew. And he asked people who were related to her and people who were heads of the community there, every type of lead that he could have tried to find, and no one knew. And, and at the same, you know, and he said, how could you not know? This is, she was, she was a, such a tzaddik, she was such a famous personality. How could no one know where she's buried? And yet there's a, there were plenty of people who at around the same time were going from Switzerland uh, to go daven in Hungary by Reb Shail of Karastir. It was around his yard site time. And uh, found it a bit ironic that people in the Switzerland are running to Reb Shail to daven. And they don't even know, forget about going to daven. Not everyone needs to go to daven by her cover, but they didn't even know where she was buried. So that's a bit of, an, uh, of, a, of a curiosity. 
also. But if we go into who he was, we realize that he was actually an incredible person, an amazing tzaddik. Um, Reb Shaila, actually, his name was Reb Shaila Steiner, but no one called him Reb Shaila Steiner. They always called him Reb Shaila Kerestir. He grew up as a yasim, um, without a father. His his mother raised him. He didn't have any yichas. He didn't have rebbe yichas. He was not descended from the lineage of great rebbes. He was a really, really a self-made man, and the tzidkis and the holiness and the greatness that he achieved was all through his own was all through his own hard work, and maybe that's uh, one of the aspects that people relate to as well. He learned and became the closest Talmud of Reb Tzvi Hirsch of Liska, the Liska Rav, um, one of the great Hungarian Rebbes of that generation in the late 1800s. And he always considered himself a Mishamish of, of uh, Reb Tzvi Hirsch of Liska, not even a Talmud. He was a tremendously modest person, Reb Shaila as well. And at a young age, after his Rebbe, Rebbe dies, he becomes a Rebbe, and that's what the Haskama of the Devrei Chaim of Tzans also, and he became his major supporter, of Matchev Nadvarna, and he eventually sets up shop in Kerestir in Hungary, and his, his Chatzar becomes known far and wide for its warmth, for its love. And if there's those two things, and also could explain, you know, people... Especially today, maybe. You know, obviously, you have to ask other experts, not, not me as a historian, but people need warmth and love. And uh, if there's two things that describe the Chatzar of Reb Shaila, it was Malay Ava, was full of love. It really was the ultimate of the, of the Hungarian Hasidism of that time, which was full of simplicity on one, on one hand, uh, to me, a certain Tamimus and a certain warmth, fatherliness. He you know, many other tzaddikim throughout the generations, and even of his own generation in Galicia and Poland and other places, many rebbes were known for one of two things, very often both. Uh, number one, leadership, Hanhaga, being a leader in Klal Yisrael, being a leader in Hasidus, being a leader in the Jewish world in changing times. Or another aspect could be the Torah. Many of them were... We had ways in Avodas Hashem, new ways, wrote major svarim, or at least they had major drushes that were written down and became major svarim. Tremendous tire people like the Bnei Saschar or other earlier rabbis, or Tzaddik was the same generation, and, and others, there's many examples of that. Reb Shaila Dafka was not known for major leadership and a leading role in Klal Yisrael, the Jewish people at the time, nor was he someone who they were relating his great and deep Kabbalistic libertarian. That's not what it was about, and that's not what he represented. He was very often at his own tish, he would read straight from Anayim Elimelech, and he wouldn't, didn't have any, wasn't trying to pretend otherwise. He would open the Sefer Anayim Elimelech, and he would say, the Rebbe, the Rebbe, says, good Torah, we're just going to repeat some of the Torah that he says. That's the, that's the beauty of Reb Shail and his and his Chatzar. Um, Reb Shaila, one of the main aspects of his chutzr, of his of his being a rebbe, was food. A lot of it surrounded food, and he was one of the big, a big machnas eirich. He always had guests, and he was always 
looking to have more and more guests and provide for those guests. And the food became a major aspect of his avayda, that he provided the food and he made miracles with the food and people came to eat by his food and he would pack them food for the way. And it became about the eating by the Rebbe and the Rebbe Shaila providing the food and bringing out that gosh, this food is also something that is makar of people, brings people close. It lifts up broken people. It, it helps people. There's so much that he was able to do with food. In fact, in his dying moments, when he was sick and dying, he asked that they put up a pot of some sort of porridge or whatever it was that they ate in those areas. And he said, that's what you're concerned with now. Why are you so nervous about that now? He's sick. He's dying. What's he concerned with that now? And he said, I feel like my end is coming near. And when I die, people are going to be busy with the kvura, with the burial and the tyra and all everything else, and they're going to come back after the whole of Ayah, and they're going to be starving. I wanted that there should already be a pot of food on the fire. And you see, that's, that's, that's one of the best mices about Rav Shaila that I ever read, that he was concerned with others, and that they should be well-fed and taken care of, even in his dying moments. And that's how he leaves the world. So in fact, I was privileged to hear a, a story, a fresh story, very recently, a couple of months ago, in my capacity... In my work in Yad Vashem, I'm also an interviewer. And we get sent out to survivors' homes with a camera crew. And we interview the survivors to hear their story, to record it for posterity. And there's a big emphasis in hearing what life was like prior to the war, not just about their experiences during the war. So recently, I went out to a yeshuv called El Kana near Tel Aviv, interviewed a survivor. And he was born in Mishkoltz. Mishkoltz is right near uh, Kerestir. Very often Hasidim of Reb Shaila were not in Kerestir itself, but they're from the area. And I asked him if he comes from a Hasidish home. And he says, sure, my Zayda, my grandfather, was a Hasid of Reb Shaila of Kerestir. And he used to go visit him in Kerestir. And he says, I'll share with you a story. My grandfather once bought earrings for my grandmother. And he before giving the earrings to the grand, to his grandmother, which is, you know, very typical and not, uh, not something out of the ordinary for a husband and wife. You know, the husband buys jewelry for his wife occasionally, so so far so good. But before giving it and presenting it to his wife as a gift, he goes to Reb Shaila, he goes to the Rebbe, and he asks him to bless the earrings, and he hands the earrings to him. And Reb Shaila takes the earrings in his hand, and he says, the one who wears these earrings will have uh, long years and good health. And so it came to be, he goes, he leaves Reb Shaila and he gives the gift to his wife. And this fellow, is his, it's his grandmother. He remembers his grandmother. He grew up with his grandmother. And he says his, uh, his grandmother wore the earrings and she lived to the ripe old age of 91 in good health. And then his mother, who is his grandmother's daughter, inherits the earrings. And his, her mother had died before the war, at 91 in good health. And now she wears the earrings, she inherits them, and she puts on the earrings. And she goes through the war. I don't know if she was wearing the earrings during the war, but she owned them. She may have hidden them. That part wasn't clear. And she survives Auschwitz. This fellow himself was hidden in Mishkotz, but his mother survives Auschwitz. She comes back to get him. After the war, they move to Eretz Yisrael, and she lives to the ripe old age of 91 in good health. 
she didn't have any daughters. So this man who I'm speaking to, his wife, his daughter-in-law, inherited the earrings. You know, he, in the middle of the interview, he points to the next room where his wife is in the kitchen, and he says, there she is. And she's wearing the earrings, and she's quite an old lady, in good health, and she's still there with the earrings. I didn't ask him if he's banking on 91, or he has hopes to get even longer. I felt that might have been an uncomfortable question, but let's hope that she has many, many happy and healthy years beyond that. And there you go, and she's wearing the earrings as we spoke. You know, she's, she's standing there wearing the earrings. Not only that, but he showed me a picture of his grandmother, the original one who received the earrings from before the war, and she's wearing the earrings in the picture. It's the same exact earrings that I'm looking at, and she's wearing their Reb Shaila's uh, blessed earrings, um, which is a fascinating story. It's a fresh story. It's never been published anywhere. I'm the first one to hear this story. It's the first interview he ever gave. He never related this story before, he told me. So there you go. You have a fresh new Moifus of Reb Shaila. But it, not only is it a miracle of Reb Shaila, but it also typifies Reb Shaila. I mean, the idea of bringing the earrings to the Rebbe that might have, you know, been accepted in in that in the Heimish, uh, um, you know, simplicity of the Hasidus that existed in 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 Hungary. That relationship, that that beautiful relationship, that fatherly relationship they had with the Rebbe. You, know, you could just imagine, or not imagine. It's too hard to imagine a Hasid in Warsaw coming to Ger and, and asking the Imriamis to bless the earrings. He would probably bounce down the stairs and uh, asked to leave, you know. It wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen in another part of the world with a different rabbi. But with Reb Shaila, it's expected. Of course, why not? And that also brings out the beauty of the relationship that he had with his Hasidim. And in fact, I was interviewed by some uh, um, Hasidish, uh, um, I wonder what, some sort of news outlet in Yiddish. I didn't get clear what it was about. And he, I told him the story, and he said, Oh, his immediate reaction was, okay, we have to send all the sick ladies in Borough Park and Williamsburg to this man's house so they could wear the earrings because Rabbi Shaila said that everyone's going to have gezunt and obviously it's a zgula for good health. So I didn't want to discourage him, but I don't know if this guy would appreciate a long line of women outside his home. But in any event, do you see how the connection and the, and the uh, attempt to get close to Rabbi Shaila exists Till today, and especially today, especially the last few years, the rise in this whole movement around Reb Shaila is simply astounding. And of course, I bring groups to Reb Shaila. It's like a popular hotspot, and, and, and it's a different story. It's a whole different uh, type of um, a visit. And um, so if you take this, this uh, episode about Reb Shaila and you go to your local bakery and, and, and you tell them the stories about Reb Shaila that you heard it on on Jewish history sound bites, maybe you'll be lucky enough to get a bilkala or some other pastry or a slice of pizza at your local pizza shop, Lila Nishmas, Reb Shaila ben Reb Moshe. But I can't guarantee it. I haven't spoken to all the bakeries and the, the pizza shops out there, but it's definitely worth a try. So this was Jewish history sound bites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com. Tzihudi Geber. You can follow, you can follow us and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and of course on Twitter as well, um, at J Soundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.